This morning our reading comes from Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29, and also John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Mark chapter, four, Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. And Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the air. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And then John chapter 15. Jesus speaking says, I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. This is God's word. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, sometimes it's just enough to listen to your word and to hear the expectations and the promises and the things that you're doing and to just be still and to reflect on that. And yet, Lord, I am called upon to proclaim your word to your people that they may be encouraged and strengthened in the faith and built up. And therefore, I'd ask for unction. Pray that you would put a guard over my mouth, that I would say those things only to bring honor and glory to you, that you would open the hearts of your people, that they would hear your word, and Lord, it would be rich and sweet, and there would be a sense of having heard your voice during this time. We humbly submit ourselves to you and look upon you and wait for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I began a short series entitled Passing the Baton. I'm now beginning to wind down my work here as an interim pastor, as officially as the interim pastor. 
okay? Uh, there'll be ongoing prayer for this church for a couple of months downstream <clears throat> and for maybe even a couple of years downstream. I can't even think about the first church that I've ministered in without praying for it. So, you know, there's this always this ongoing sense. I've got this broad sense of what the church is, how the church is my spiritual family. So I just wanted to deliver a few words to you about what kinds of things to maybe give heed to or to give, give some attention to um, in this transition from my work into the work of the new guy as he comes in. So I titled this series, Passing the Baton, uh, the way that one runner passes a baton on to another. Last week, the sermon that I spoke... Uh, even though we had snow and whatever, the sermon that I spoke was how to love your next pastor well, how to love your new pastor well. And for those of you who missed it, it's online. You can uh, you can call it up and listen to it and hear uh, what I what what I drew out. Uh, from the passage on how you may best love this new man as a congregation, caring for him as your new shepherd. This week is number two in the sermon series, and in a certain sense, I'm taking a risk. I mean, I'm talking about plants that grow and harvesting a crop. I'm a city boy. We're in the middle of corn country. I must be out of my mind. <laughs> I, you should be telling me what this passage is about. <clears throat> but this is the one that the Lord laid on my heart. We read this passage a few weeks ago, uh, a couple weeks ago, in uh, Sunday school. And it struck me that this really speaks to what we need to hear about our own spiritual life and what this church needs to hear about its own growth in this community. And so... I wanted to address it. One of the things that we need to one of the things that we need to learn from Mark chapter 4 verses 26 through 29, this is the only place in the gospels where this parable is recorded. It's the only place where where it's said that Jesus spoke in this way about this about this idea. Now, as you know, Jesus drew on many observations about the world in order to present parables to his crowd. And it's not as though he took anything new or anything that was unknown. It's not like anybody who heard this didn't understand about what happened when they threw seeds into the field and what took place as the seeds started to grow. Part of what Jesus does is draws on the natural world and draws on the world around him. And I, and I think that there's some merits in that because the whole world is actually a parable. The way in which we would think about going to work in the morning and coming home from work in the evening and what we accomplish during the day has some sort of parable significance to it. The reason it does is because God made the world. He made everything. He made us, even with our nature and our personality. 
And as he did so, he embedded things into the world of himself that speak of his reign and his rule and his kingdom. And then he points to those things and he says, now stop for a second and look, would you? So, for example, um, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. How many of you have really just sat down in a field or sat down on a rock and watched ants? Just watched ants. You know, we would say to ourselves, that's a really stupid time-wasting activity. Really? Go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways, and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in the harvest. The scriptures call us to look at the world around us and to draw spiritual lessons from those things. So that's why we read Psalm 1. Look at a tree next to a stream during the dry season. And then look at, compare it with a tree that's not near a stream during the dry season. Which one looks healthier? Which one looks better? Is there any spiritual significance in that? The Psalms tell us that there is. We need to look at the world around us and see the parables that are presented to us on a day-by-day basis. Because the whole world is speaking to us of the work in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus does that right here with the scattering of the seed and the growth of the plants. The primary principle that we need to draw out of this passage, and I'll draw some applications from it in a bit, is this. Living things grow. Now, it sounds really stupid, and it sounds like, well, yeah, duh, living things grow. But when we make assumptions about stuff like this, we overlook the importance of it. Living things grow. And that's the first point that I need to draw out. There is actually a mystery to growth. There's a mystery to the growth of a seed. There's a mystery to the growth of a seed into the thing that it is designed to become. And there's a fascination with it. My granddaughter Polly got this little botanical lab for Christmas. She couldn't wait to start doing something, and she knew that her papa had some sort of understanding about plants. So as soon as I arrived for Christmas... She grabbed a hold of my hand. She said, come on, Papa, you got to help me with my botany lab. Okay. And each of these little exercises was intended to teach her something about seeds, the living dynamic that goes on in a seed, watching it sprout, watching it begin to shoot its little cotyledons up and to gather some sunlight and to put forth additional leaves and to become the thing that was designed to be. So we added seeds to a little moisture tray and we added seeds to some soil and we soaked some bean seeds and stuck them in a glass dome so she could see the roots stretch out. 
She was all excited about it, and she just watched it for weeks. There's a mystery to it. There's a fascination to it. We were talking the other day, you know, that seed, the tiniest seed, can produce a living thing that becomes altogether something different than you expect. An acorn doesn't look like an oak tree. It's from an oak. It will produce an oak. But when you've got that little cap on that little round thing, it's the first thing you don't think of is oak tree. You look at it and go, acorn. There's, there's a fascination and a mystery. The point of that is that the farmer can do nothing about making that seed germinate. The farmer can do nothing about making that seed express its life. Oh, there might be water added to it. There might be other things. But there's something about the mystery of life in that seed that causes it to sprout forth and to come forth. It's not just that. Even the planting of seeds is a mystery. We're told that in John 3, the Holy Spirit moves in the life of people, and we don't see it, and we don't know it, and we can't predict it, and we can't see him do it, and only once in a while we see the effects of it. There's a mystery to this. The growth of a seed is a mysterious thing. And in my opinion, it makes one of the... That's what makes... This part of the state, right here, I mean, from here all the way up to Rockford, all 70 miles, so fascinating. In the spring, you have acres and acres and miles and miles of seeds laid in the ground, and within weeks, there's living plants that are there. You see it year by year and have become accustomed to it. And if it doesn't happen, you wonder what goes on. But you know what? You're surrounded by a mystery and a fascinating thing all the time. All the time. That's the first thing. Second thing, salient point that I want to draw out of this passage is that the growth has what we might consider a kind of an obvious progression And each stage of this growth has its rightful place. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, and then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? It sounds simple enough. Here's what it's not saying. The earth first produces the blade, and then there's fruit doesn't say that at all. There's this progression to it. There is this, 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 this advance. There is a slow transformation to the purpose that the thing has. We might see some kind of advance of the stages after the fact, but we could never see the progression of the stages before they started taking place. When you plant a pine seed in the soil and watch it germinate, what comes up? Have you ever done it? Because you probably haven't done it and you probably don't know, the whole thing will be an unfolding story for you. 
the whole thing. So the growth has what we might consider an obvious progression, and each stage or phase has its rightful place on its way to its overall purpose. The third salient point that I would draw out of this parable is that growth takes time. It takes time. The farmer sleeps and rises, verse 27, night and day. And the way that it's stated is that you've got this cycle of sleeping and rising and nights and days. And it goes on and on so that time is expressed over something that's measurable. Time is expressed over something that's measurable. The point being, it's not instant. In our day, instant everything has shaped what we expect. Drive up to a McDonald's window and give them your order, get your hamburger and drive off. Hey, that's life. Go to the cabinet and grab your package of instant oatmeal and shove it in a bowl and microwave it, and one minute and 45 seconds later, you've got breakfast. Really? Is it really that way? We lose sight of the fact that it took three months to grow the oats. We lose sight of the fact that when we, when we sprinkle raisins in the oatmeal, it took three months to grow the raisins and another three weeks to dry them. We lose sight of the fact that we put sprinkle pecans on the oatmeal. It took four and a half months to grow a pecan on a mature tree. We lose sight of that because we just go, we pick up packages of stuff, we grind it up, we stick it in and, you know, microwave and it's, it's there. We become so instant about all kinds of things, including our growth in the faith. Really, growth takes time. It takes time. All growth takes time. And it's a schedule that we haven't designed, and it's a schedule that we cannot speed up. God can grow a squash in six weeks. It takes him 80 years to grow an oak tree. God has appointed the schedule. The fourth point that we need to see in here is that the purpose of the growth is fruit. It's not simply to grow. It's not simply to be. Everything that God made in Genesis 1, right, he said to it, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. I want more of you. I want more of you. Right? Everything. There's not anything that God planted or grew or created or brought into existence where he said, okay, just be nothing. In this world, everything is supposed to bear fruit. Now, what Jesus is describing here is not anything new. Men and women had been planting seeds and growing crops for millennia. Consider right after the flood. Noah planted a vineyard. Now, it took him a little while, but he harvested grapes from that vineyard, and he enjoyed that fruit. 
What is new to us is that Jesus takes this very common and ordinary thing and he says this, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. Seeds are planted. There are stages to growth. Things take time. And the whole point is fruit. That's the kingdom of God. And so this is one way as we think about the kingdom of God and what it is it means for a new pastor. I've got a few applications. And those applications I do believe and really would pray that they would be helpful for us as we make this transition to a new guy and as we move forward into a new phase in the life of the church. And it, it, it is a new phase. Okay, the first thing is this living things grow, living things grow, right? You've tasted spiritual life, you've tasted the life in the spirit from being born from above. And the fact is, you have within you a spiritual principle, and that spiritual principle is life, and therefore, that life must grow. You can't simply become saved and hit neutral and just wait to die so that you can go be with Jesus or wait until Jesus returns so that you can be with him. There, there is some sort of growth that must take place, growth in maturity, growth in knowledge, growth in service, growth in, uh, growth in fellowship, growth in – there needs to be that. Okay, And so your new pastor will be coming into a situation in which that kind of growth is expected as the normal. Now, that has taken place in the last year, but that takes us to the next principle, and that is growth takes time. It takes time. And so whatever growth has taken place this year, we should anticipate more growth in the future. And it's not going to be dependent upon the farmer. It's not going to be dependent upon the shepherd. It's not going to be dependent upon the pastor. It's going to be dependent upon how your life is nurtured in the Lord. And that's part of what you do. The spiritual principle is within you. And the growth that you have in your life depends upon the living spirit. Your growth is not dependent upon your new pastor or your old pastor or any previous pastor or any other pastor. It doesn't matter how beloved the person is. If you're not watering your plants, they're not going to grow. You need to be watering your spiritual life. And there's lots of things that we do that just don't water our spiritual life. For example, right? How many of us spend Saturday night on, on stuff that just waste away time and waste away our minds? And when we show up for worship on Sunday morning, we're whacked out. We can't even hear what's going on. We're tired. 
We're, you know, we've stayed up too late. We've done things with our time that just eat up our attention, and our souls are not even prepared to come in for worship and not even prepared to come in and receive the word of God. I do that all the time. I'm ashamed of it. I have to repent of that almost every third week because I've used my time on Saturday night appallingly instead of really preparing my soul for the kind of worship that I need to give to the Lord. Right? So it's not as though any of us are exempt from it or we've overcome it, but the fact is we have to, we have to give attention to it. Your growth in grace and in your relationship with Christ is not dependent upon any man. It's dependent upon the Holy Spirit who works mysteriously in your soul, but he works with something. He works with means. He uses means. The word proclaimed and read, the sacraments administered on the Lord's day among the company of God's people, and prayer. Now, how he uses those things may remain a mystery to us, but the Holy Spirit uses those things. And that remains the secret province of the Holy Spirit's work in our salvation. What your proper growth does depend upon is your pastor's faithfulness. Your growth doesn't depend upon your pastor. But your proper growth does depend in part on your pastor's faithfulness. If he's not teaching you what is true, it will stunt your growth or warp your growth. It's expected that you will be always growing in your Christian life. But as long as your pastor is delivering to you Bible-tested, time-tested teachings of the truth, of the truth, of the church and truth, this is, you're getting something by which you will properly grow. This is why churches have pastors. It's not because we're responsible for your growth. We're responsible to make sure that the proper things are presented to you so that you may grow, so that the Holy Spirit may work those in your heart. Uh, The third principle, third application rather, is that you must grow. While spiritual growth remains mysterious to us, we know from Scripture that the Holy Spirit uses means we can and must say that we must grow. It's expected that you will always be growing in your Christian life. As you look back over the last year, how has your growth been in your knowledge of the Lord? How has your growth been in your obedience to the Lord? How has your growth been in your walk with the Lord? If you look back and you say, yes, there's been change. Things have moved in an upward way. Then the Holy Spirit's been working. If you look back over the last year and you say, no, I haven't really grown. I haven't done anything. The first question would have to be asked is, really, what are you not doing that you should? Because if your pastor is not growing, you're probably not going to gain anything out of it. We need to be growing in hope as well as growing in knowledge and obedience. Really learning of Christ's great saving work. 
learning of his transformation in us and all of those things that are held in the future for us. But again, keep in mind, it's not growth for the sake of growth. It's growth for the sake and purpose of fruit. It's growth for the sake and the purpose of fruit. And that's, that's something that's going to encourage your new pastor is if he's seeing fruit in your life, whether that be the fruit of the spirit or the fruit of evangelism or the fruit of, of uh, growing in love, if, as long as we are growing in those things, that's an encouragement to a man coming in. Because then he's, be, he's able to say, the Holy Spirit is working here. I've seen that here, and it's been a delight to my soul. I've seen growth in the fellowship. I've seen growth in the love of God's people. I've seen growth in setting some old things aside and saying, you know what, it wasn't worth holding on to those, but there are some new things that are now here coming presented, and I'm able to embrace those, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It brings life, and it brings connection with God and with God's people. The fruit is for the growth of the kingdom. And here I need to speak not just to us individually, but I need to speak to us as a church. Churches are living things. They also need to grow unto bearing fruit. And that's going to take a lot of different forms. Evangelism, reaching out to people, inviting them in. With a new guy coming in, he'll start his first sermon, I think, is going to be on February 10th. Invite friends. Invite family members. Come hear him. Don't say to yourself, it's status quo, it's just a new guy. No, it's a fresh voice proclaiming the thing that people need to hear. God uses his men in different ways. I'll be touching on that in a couple of weeks. Invite people. If they need to hear the word, ask them to come hear the word. Tell them it's worth listening to a new guy. He's fresh to you. He's fresh to them. Gives you a chance to talk about him. You know, what did he say? Did he say something that really struck you? Let me tell you how it struck me. Start a conversation. So the church also must grow. The local church, principal Presbyterian, is made to bear fruit, to grow as a living local body. We cannot, we dare not try to remain the same. With each new personality that comes into the church, there is a change in the community. As I have come into this church, there's been a change in the community. As Chris Carpenter comes in, and Emily, and Shiloh, and Judah, as they come in, there'll be a change in the personality of the church. Receive that. Receive it and accept it. Don't say to yourselves, oh my goodness, I really wanted things to stay the same. They can't. It's impossible. Any more than a new child born into a family is going to keep the family the same. It doesn't work that way. It never has worked that way. And the more we try to keep it that way, the more we're taking moisture away from the seed, moisture away from the plant. We're killing it. Don't kill it. Keep it alive. It's a natural dynamic of people. You cannot stop it from happening with personalities coming to the church. 
So one way it can help this church is when a new pastor arrives and begins his teaching, preaching ministry, invite as many people as you can, Christian and non-Christian, to come hear him. And see what the Holy Spirit does. Because the wind blows where it will. And we can see the effects of it. But we can't say what it's really doing. The Holy Spirit may be planting seeds. The Holy Spirit may be cultivating uh, the soil. The Holy Spirit may be growing that person's life. One last thing, and it's drawn from John 15, and that's this. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. The vine dresser dresses the vines. In the course of growth, some things are cut away and some things are cut back. Okay? Now, it takes place in our lives individually and it takes place in the church as a church. There are things the Lord has cut out of your life because they're unhealthy, they're spiritually unhealthy. He's lopped them away and said, these are not bearing fruit. They're not helpful. Let me, another weird Chris Baker example. When I was first saved, I had three sets of the Moody Blues albums. I loved the Moody Blues. I loved them. I'd listen to them all the time. And I think I was a Christian for about two months, and the Lord started working on me. He said, Okay, you're placing too much significance on the Moody Blues. Get rid of those. (gasps) No, I love the Moody Blues. Get rid of them. Two sets of albums and one set of tapes. Just go. I I want them gone. And so I wrestled with the Lord for probably another four weeks. And finally I gave in. I gave my, I just got rid of the Moody Blues albums. I threw them out. I burned the tapes. I said, okay, Lord, you're God. I'm not. I trust you. And out of that, the Lord said, okay, we're now ready to start doing some Bible study in your home. And we started doing Bible study in my home. And the Bible studies flourished. I was not able to listen to the Moody Blues for 30 years. I've been walking with the Lord 43 years. And when I did start to listen to the Moody Blues again, I started to hear the New Age idolatry that was just woven through everything. And I thought, my God is so wise. I didn't see that, but he knew it. He knew if I was going to bear fruit, something had to be snipped out, lopped away. I'll bet each one of you can look at your own life and say, yep, the Lord has pruned me. Friends that were not healthy for you, snip, snip. Practices that were just not healthy, snip, snip. And the result is that you have fruit. God brings forth fruit in your life. You're more cheerful, you're joyful. It's like, you know what? I know who my Lord is, and I love him. And then at other times, he'll bring things in, and you go, how does that fit? And then all of a sudden, you're starting to see the fruit that just kind of bubbles up with it. Our Father is a wise vine dresser, and he will do that to churches, too. And we shouldn't freak out when God 
prunes the church, stopping some practices, increasing others. And if the pastor wants to make a change, say, all right, let's see how this works. Because it might bring forth much fruit. And we'll see what God is pleased to do with it. Living things grow. God does that work. The whole purpose is to bear fruit. And if necessary and when necessary, he will, he will um, do some pruning in order to bear that fruit. Because it's fruit to his glory and honor. And part of that fruit is joy in the Holy Spirit, a sense of his nearness, and a sense of actually being useful as an instrument in his hands. Beloved, let's look forward to that, even as he brings a new man here to labor and to serve among you. Let's pray together.